Welcome to the IdaLink podcast. I'm JL Corbett, the editor and founder of IdaLink, an online magazine that publishes the weird, the odd, the curious, anything that's a little bit strange. On this podcast, I'll be talking to some writers that I've published in the past and getting to know them as people, not just as writers. My guest today is Ken Weatherington. Ken is a short fiction writer from North Carolina with over 20 short story publications. He was the first runner-up for the 2022 Harambe Literary Prize. Outside of his writing career, he taught film appreciation courses at Duke University until 2019. He's had two stories published in Idolink. The photo shoot was in July 2021 and Sui Generous in March 2022. So, Ken, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No, of course. So I've been starting every episode um, by giving each guest a bit of what my impression is of them as a writer, um, because we've spoken over email um, and social media probably, but we've never been in conversation like this before. So if you like, I can kind of tell you how I see you as a writer and if that's at all accurate. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to hear that. Wonderful. So my impression of you is I think that you're quite an educated person. Um, You have a lot of experience in the writing community, um, a wealth of experience, really. Um, And I think from reading your stories, your characters feel so grounded in reality and the writing style is it's almost like a slice of life so that makes me think that perhaps you're quite a keen observer of people would that be at all accurate um it it is accurate for some of my stories uh there are other stories that uh my characters are not so grounded in reality I just had a reading a couple of days ago. I read a story where the uh, first person protagonist is a drug addict. So we're seeing the world through his eyes. And and I have uh, stories where the um, protagonist, uh, we see the protagonist's point of view uh, from uh, various various characters, ranging from a, a high school girl to a 65-year-old aging actor uh, to a, a creature of artificial intelligence. And uh, and then there's a vampire. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, my, my reading tastes are, are diverse, so it, uh, that comes out reflected in my writing. So my collection is all over the place, which probably makes it harder to sell because it doesn't fit into a a particular (laughs) genre. So uh, I'm battling that all the time. But then on the other hand, at least if it's quite eclectic, there's something for everyone. Well, uh, yeah, I always say if you don't like this story, you might like the next one. Yeah, that's always a good thing. I suppose um, with you, because you've, you've been writing for so many years, it's not surprising that you've got these other this these whole other genres of stories that I haven't even come across because you've just got so much out there. <laughs> uh, 
Yes, I've written uh, just over 60 now. Oh, wow. So with you having been writing for so long, um, over 20 years, uh, how do you think that the themes in your writing have evolved over that time? Uh, I guess the best way to describe it would would be to say that my uh, themes have expanded. My earliest stories, the characters were lonely, isolated characters, uh, much like in the sui generis story that I'll be reading an uh, excerpt from later. Mm -hmm. uh, they are out of step. A lot of times they're underemployed or didn't quite finish college, and they're just... Um, uh, rudderless in in many ways, and 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 just trying to find their niche. Um, and so, a lot of my story early stories were like that, and I still return to that kind of story periodically. I, ha I haven't, I'm not done with it. Mm -hmm. uh, a second area that I write uh, frequently in is dystopian fiction, um, and again, that reflects some of the lonely, isolated characters from my more realistic uh, stories. Um, and in most of those stories, they aren't so concerned with, you know, resurrecting the world. They're just trying to get by from day to day and make, make life better for themselves at the moment. Um, and the third area I've written quite a bit in is uh, the, on the nature of celebrity. So uh, the, the characters are mostly uh, movie stars. Sometimes they might be a famous writer or some other type of celebrity. But uh, we're inundated with celebrity in the world that we live in. And even though we all know that the celebrity image is not the person as they really are. But the, but the power of the media is so pervasive that it's easy to fall into thinking that that actor is just like he's on the screen. And, and I think that typecasting in uh, Hollywood uh, helps perpetuate that. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, certainly. Yeah. So so those three areas are areas I, I write in, and uh, one doesn't take precedent over the other. I jump back and forth. And there, there are certainly plenty of stories uh, that fall outside that. I um, have a... One of my writing groups tasked with uh, task us with the writing a story about something we see while driving. And having lived my entire life in the American South, the first image that came into my mind was a dead opossum on the road. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the, I've seen many. And so uh, I wrote a short story from the uh, point of view of the opossums who are tired and fed up with getting run over and they they want some action. Oh, wow. That is certainly very creative. <laughs> uh, that story is called The Marsupial Rebellion. So. I'll have to look that one up, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so w with what you mentioned about writing about the nature of celebrity, um, so given how long you've been writing, I mean, 20 years ago was 2002. So the world has, has completely changed since then and certainly the whole celebrity beast has really taken on a life of its own since back then so i guess what i'm asking is do you think that um that that in particular has evolved for you in your writing style 
uh, like does it does your writing style kind of follow what's happening in the world well that's a good question uh, i don't know uh sometimes my writing writing will uh, address things that are going on in the world um but other times not it, mm-hmm. uh every every story is is different um and as as you have um, as you know uh, I'm a, a big film buff and I've read a lot of stories about early Hollywood and, and the, the you know that that celebrity promotion of the celebrity image was was keenly present even uh, you know 120 years ago almost so uh, I think that's something that's always been with us the uh, social media and the 24-hour news cycle. Uh, certainly amp that up, but uh, it's it's always it's been with us for more than a hundred years at, at least. Yeah, and I suppose it's not going anywhere either. <laughs> no, it's only going to get worse. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, TikTok and uh, I, I will put in a a, a good uh, comment here. Pro pro social media. Uh, Twitter gets a lot of uh, negative press these days, uh, but I have found an uh, amazing uh, supportive group of writers on Twitter, and and I'm not dealing with the political stuff on there, which can get pretty uh, vicious, but uh, the uh, uh, writing community on there has been very supportive, and, uh, and I feel very lucky to, to have Twitter as a resource uh, in promoting and, and just connecting with writers in general. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think Twitter has two sides, um, but it depends how you use it. I use it mainly for writing as as well and connecting with other people. And as you say, it really is invaluable in terms of um, seeking out other writers to read. Or I know I've certainly, um, Idolink wouldn't have the engagement it has without Twitter. Um, and as long as you stay away from the political side of it, you'll have a good time, I think. Um, and as well, I think that for me, there's not much of a writing scene where I live in Hull. There's a few events going on, uh, but there aren't any writers groups that I know of in person. So for me, the online community is brilliant. Um, I know that you're part of, um, are, are they in-person writing groups that you're part of? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm in a writing group uh, currently. Uh, it's a small group. We have six members, and uh, I've sampled a, a number of writing groups throughout the years. Uh, most writing groups, you you go to the meeting and you you get your story or your chapter, and you spend ten minutes reading, and then you get you go around the room, and there might be. 20, 25 people in the room, and everybody gets a minute or so to give feedback. Um, and you can get some good things there, but I ultimately found that a little unfulfilling because I would rather have feedback from someone who's read the story, thought about it, and, and made more um, thoughtful comments. And yeah. not that, and not that the uh, way most groups work is bad. I'm sure it probably works for a great many people. But uh, 
the group I'm in now, we um, post our stories or chapters uh, on uh, Google Drive. We share them with each other in advance. And That's we make a comments. good idea. It, yeah, we make comments. And so by the time we get to the meeting, we've read the stories. We've seen what everybody else has said. So we're at our starting point for that meeting. We're where a lot of writing groups have already ended. Mm. So, so we can um, we can talk about big picture plot structure, or we can talk about where the comma goes. And is it generally short stories that you're discussing, or would it be full length novels? Uh, both. We have a couple of writers that are writing epic fantasy novels, but uh, we have uh, a couple of short story writers and. Uh, and some that are writing um, unclassifiable <laughs> <laughs> material, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's different. And, and the groups evolve. I've been in the group since 2013, and membership evolves. We keep it around six people, uh, keep it manageable, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's it's really worked well for me. I, of those 20 plus stories I've gotten published. Zero would have been published without this group. Wow. So it really is a, a valuable resource then. Yes, invaluable. Yes. Wow. Um, I'm interested to ask, um, obviously, it sounds like it's been such a positive experience. Do you ever find with getting the opinions of the other writers in the writing group, is it ever a hindrance in terms of perhaps diluting your vision as a writer? Um, not, not, not too much. Uh, I've always looked at the uh, suggestions you get from a writing group uh, as you, you take the one, take the suggestions you need and the rest you discard. That's a very healthy outlook. <laughs> and, and that's how I, I hope people take my criticism too. Uh, often in a, a group, when you get a lot of comments, you may get some suggestions that are contradictory. You have to discard something. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, uh, I, I have been in groups where people would get bent out of shape <laughs> if they got criticized too sharply and uh, feelings were hurt. And mm. uh, if you're going to be a writer, I say get over it. You're going you're gonna <laughs> to have it. I love that phrase. Um, yeah. It's so true. I suppose with writing and certainly writing for publication, it's such a subjective thing. I mean, just because one person loves your story, it, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to love it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think sometimes work has to be divisive in order to be valuable. Um, so I imagine the the use of a writing group it 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 sounds like overall it is a good thing as long as you know when to trust them and when to trust your own vision. Right, right, yeah, and and that takes a little while to develop as a writer to trust your own uh, vision. I think it's it's natural to be uh, uh, reluctant to trust your vision in the beginning. Yeah, when, you, when you're first putting that out there, but I also find uh, reading them in, in public where you uh, 
you get feedback from people who are not necessarily writers, but they're readers. And you mm. get you get get feedback from readers. That's a different kind of feedback than you get from writers. And uh, I find that valuable too. How would you sort of characterize that difference between the readers' opinions and the writers' opinions? Uh, the readers, uh, they're not as uh, they're not as picky in some senses. Uh, <laughs> uh, but sometimes they open up uh, open your eyes to things in your story that you haven't seen yourself. Um, the story I just read recently from the point of view of the drug addict who's on opium, um, uh, one person said, well, how do we know anything in this story is true? It could all be in his head. <laughs> Good point. And, and I hadn't even, I didn't think about that That was as I was writing it. Uh, it did occur to me as I was going back over and editing but I, I I was a little surprised that a reader picked up uh, or a listener in this case picked up on that uh, uh, on first uh, reading. I mean, I didn't think it was all in his head, but if this if this reader or this listener thought so, then you know that's fine. My philosophy is that the writer puts in, the reader takes out, and you don't have any control over what they're going to take out. They can. If you yeah. mean it to say one thing, they may take it out as meaning the opposite. That's yeah. just the way it is. I was actually at um at an event recently um where the guest speaker was a novelist and he said something very similar. Um he said that as a writer, you can kind of hang the the bones of the story and you can describe the scene, but the reader every single reader is going to sort of color that story in with their own experiences and their own sort of visual references. And in a way, I think that's what's so special about literature is that you can intend something as a writer. The reader can take away something completely different and that doesn't have to be wrong. It's just different interpretations. Right. It's, it's, it's how you learn critical thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so I know you've had a lot of publications and a lot of writers, particularly new writers, um, really struggle with the constant um, rejections when they're trying to get published for the first time. So I'm curious, how have you kind of dealt with that? I imagine at this point it, it it's maybe waters off a duck, uh, water off a duck's back for you. Uh, yes, I, I, I think the uh, best way to look at it is that rejections are part of the process. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I first started, when I, when I was writing originally, I had no intention of publishing. Uh, you know, I was only writing to keep my mind active and to keep the creativity in my brain going. And but I submitted one every now and then to, just to see what would happen. And when, um, but when I got the first one published, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've um, the biggest thing that's, that's helped me get published in addition to the writing group is uh, I have a su subscription to Duotrope. Do you, do you oh, guys yeah. have that? 
Yeah, yeah. IdaLink is on that, actually. It's a really good resource. Right. That's, that's probably where I found you. Probably. <laughs> I'm sure that's where I found you. Uh, but that's a, that's a, I always promote that as a, to new writers or writers who are trying to get published. It's, uh, it's been super. Yeah, I only discovered it. I think I'd been writing myself for publication for probably about two or three years before I discovered Duotrope. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like an online resource, kind of like a catalogue, where they'll list um, different publishers by things like, I forget the character, uh, categories i think it's things like response time um approachability um and it will have all of their submission guidelines on there usually so it is a really good resource for anyone who wants yeah. to use it yeah it has acceptance rate acceptance rates for publications yeah of course that's right and there's a weekly newsletter saying you know these publications have recently reopened to uh, uh for submissions and that's that's really helpful even if you're not using their database, the newsletter yeah. alone is a, a wonderful resource. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. I think it's um, it's a really good resource. Um, so you've uh, you've won quite a, lot, a few awards for your writing. Um, I mentioned in your intro there that you were the first runner-up for the 2022 Henry Literary Prize. You were also named Writer of the Month by Elizabeth M. Castillo. And your collection, Santa Bella and Other Stories, won a Bragg medallion. Um, the reason I'm so interested in your experience of awards is because in an earlier episode of this podcast, I was discussing the idea of awards and competitions as well in the writing community. And I have to be completely honest, I'm not sold on the whole process of it purely because writing is so subjective. So I'm hoping you can give me a bit of insight as an award-winning writer. Um, what what are your thoughts on the value of awards within the writing community? Uh, well, it's a, it's a good reward if you win one. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I have mixed feelings about it as well. I uh, I totally agree that it's subjective and. And with the Harambee Literary Prize, I suspect there are stories that didn't make the top three or four that were just as good mm. as the stories it did. So it, it is highly subjective. Um, I uh, don't go out of my way to, to look for a, a contest. I don't enter a huge number of them. Um, this one was... Uh, I saw this one on Twitter, and their theme was ambivalence. And uh, God knows Ooh. I've got ambivalent characters. So, what so an I, interesting theme! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's in the end. So, it, so many times, uh, it's even with um, uh, publication in a journal. Sometimes you see they're looking for this type of story or that type of story. And I don't write for those, but if I've got something that already fits, then, you know, maybe I'll send it in. So, uh, but yeah, it, I totally agree. It's, it's subjective. And for every contest winner, there are probably dozens of others that were just as good, but they just didn't resonate 
as much with the judge or the editor or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you must, as an editor, you must have to deal with that, trying to uh, uh, yeah. weigh your own uh, opinions with uh Yeah, I've talked about this in the past um, because obviously with um, it's a little bit different to awards because you're not just picking one person. Um, I tend to publish about 10 stories and poems every month for Idolink. And I mean, I get so many excellent submissions and sometimes it's not, well, a lot of the time it's not a reflection on the actual writing itself. It could just be that it doesn't fit with Idol Inc. Um, or perhaps we've published something really similar the month before. Um, that's not a reflection on the writer. It just means because I have to think primarily about the readers and what what's going to be interesting for them or what's going to resonate and fit with the Idol Inc. brand. Um, it just means, unfortunately, can't take everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it it is really difficult um, trying to to weigh it up, which, which is another reason why I don't actually enter any Idolink writers into contests, which I know a lot of um, literary magazines do. Things like Best of the Year or Pushcart nominations, mm. um, just because I don't really buy into to that whole system. Not to say that it's a bad thing. Um, I understand why writers go for it, and um, I think it probably does help their career if they can put in their little bio that they're an award winner. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably, probably so. I I never go into one of those uh, expecting to win, so or or even um, expecting uh, a story to get accepted for publication in a magazine. Uh, it's always a surprise to me when those things happen. But yeah, I'm. I'm I'm totally um you know there there are some prizes I would pay more attention to <laughs> if something's won the Booker Prize I'll take a second look at yeah at maybe for the Booker I might change my opinion <laughs> I, I will say uh, the the contemporary writer that uh, I I've read the most I discovered through uh, his Booker Prize win and, and is that, that is uh, Ian McEwen. Mm-hmm. I love the darkness in his stories. Yeah, and I, I suppose winning awards, it inevitably raises the profile of the writer, so they're gaining readers. So I guess in that way, you can't really blame them. Um, so I, when I was researching this episode, I was looking through the things that you had published and your collection, Santa Bella and Other Stories, I noticed that it got published in the height of COVID. It was May 2020, which I read that and I thought, what a crazy time to have a book come out. So what was that experience like? Uh, COVID had no impact on it. Uh, really? It, yeah, it, it's self-published. I was motivated to uh, publish uh, it because I had a couple of stories I thought were really good that, that were not getting accepted. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking for a way to get them out. So I ended up putting together the collection. Uh, seven of the stories had, had been previously published and um, 
seven were had not been published. Uh, yeah, and Santa Abella uh, is my longest story, and the story I, I thought had a uh, was I thought it was the best thing I'd written, and um, and I just couldn't get it. It was over eight thousand words, so uh, it was just hard to find yeah. a place to send it. Yeah, there aren't many and, markets for stories of that length. Yeah, yeah, a few here and there, but you know, you, it's just opportunities are pretty yeah. small. So, so the um, process of getting it published, COVID really had nothing to do with it. Uh, my, uh, I, I send my stuff to a professional editor. She lives in New York State. Uh, um, book designer and cover designer lives in Buenos Aires. So I'm not having to, you know, COVID doesn't travel over the internet. So you were kind of used to working remotely anyway, I suppose. Yeah. That's quite so, lucky. <laughs> yeah. And, and in both cases, the editor and my book designer, they were recommended to me by uh, friends that had used them and they worked out uh, really well. I don't know if you've looked at the uh, cover of the book, but mm -hmm. it was the first cover presented to me and it, it blew me away. I can't expect that my next cover will come quite so easily. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, it really is a good cover. And I think um, with self-publishing, personally, I love that so many people are self-publishing now. I really like the whole kind of do-it-yourself aspect. But I think in order to... To be successful with it you really need to have good people on board like a good editor and a good designer um to help to help kind of bring the book to life um so it, it's quite lucky that you found those people yeah yeah and i found them quickly uh it was just sheer luck wow that is lucky <laughs> um so i wanted to talk a little bit as well um about your your love of film um i know you taught film appreciation at duke university um for quite a long time up until 2019 i was looking through the modules that you taught and uh, they just seem so fun it, it was things like film noir serial killers in cinema the question of what is human the lighter side of death science fiction in the 21st century all stuff that I love. Um, so <laughs> does any of those kind of topics come out in your own writing? Um, well, as I said earlier, my, my reading tastes are diverse, but uh, mm -hmm. my film tastes are diverse as well. Um, um, just as the last film I watched was a, a silent era film. I watched from the silent era to contemporary and, you know, foreign domestic animated live action documentary mm -hmm. but when i when i sit down to write in my mind i'm thinking cinematically um and i don't i don't know if that comes across to the reader or no one's ever uh mentioned it to me so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but the the way my my scenes are edited together on the page, I'm seeing the um, I'm seeing the cut in the film. Interesting. Uh, if it were on the screen, um, so um, but I do want to just make one uh, clarification here. The uh, 
the course I was teaching at Duke was for the OLLI program. It's, it's part of the continuing education. So it's not an academic course. So uh, my, oh, okay. uh, my uh, class was with mostly uh, adults. Uh, uh, and they were all really smart people. Some of them were retired Duke professors. And uh, sometimes I felt like everybody in the class knew more about almost everything than I did, <laughs> except film. So... <laughs> So uh, I, I learned I learned much from them. Um, uh, it really came home to me about how how a group of people may take uh, different meanings from a film, as, as we mm -hmm. talked about that uh, with the uh, writing as well. But it really became crystal clear with the film when I would show the film to twenty five people, twenty five different movies sometimes. Wow. Yeah, I, I so. really love that the same thing can mean so many different things to to so many people, different people. Oh, yeah. Though. yeah. Yeah. You, you bring your own point of view to, uh, you know, a book or a movie mm. and, and how you interpret it might depend on uh, what religion you belong to, what political persuasion you are and, and, and your, entire life experience really yeah definitely so wh which came first for you would you say it was the love of film or the love of literature film when i was when i was quite young i would get up on saturday mornings there was a tv station uh that showed a lot of old movies and i would see uh hollywood classics you know one weekend I might see John Wayne and the next weekend I might see the Marx Brothers and uh, uh, the weekend after that I might see a really bad science fiction film from the oh, 30s love, or something. I love bad science fiction films. <laughs> Plan 9 from out from uh, outer space is one of my favorites. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's for a, for a really bad film it sure has secured a niche in film history. I know. I have this strange obsession with bad films. Um, I think I find them fascinating just how something so promising could just not work. And I, I like watching them and trying to figure out why doesn't it work? And with Plan 9, the answer is because of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like watching a train wreck sometimes. Uh, yeah. But I always told my classes, you know, go see all kinds of films. If you know, uh, if you, if you the more bad, if you see a bunch of bad films, it helps you appreciate the good ones. Yeah, I find that to be true, definitely. Um, so we'll finish off with a short reading, um, an excerpt from your the second story you have published in Ida Link, which is Siri Generous. Before you get into it, I'll just give a little bit of context as to why I decided to publish it. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, just a bit of insight. So um, with this story, uh, it came out in March this year. So for the past couple of years, I've been getting a lot of submissions that are pandemic themed, which is to be expected. Um, what I liked about this one is it kind of uses the idea of pandemics as a backdrop, but it isn't the plot, um, which was interesting. And there's a line in there, um, I forget the exact wording, 
that the protagonist mentions that there's been waves of pandemics over the last few years. So there is this element of mystery where we get the sense that it is a pandemic type of reality that we can relate to because of what we've all been through, um, but it's maybe not our specific pandemic reality. So I found that really interesting just as like the the backdrop of the story. Um, now the actual plot itself, I don't want to go into it too much in case someone hasn't read it. They certainly should go and read it now. Um, but the the sort of relationship between the two main characters, it's this really interesting entanglement. And you kind of hint at feelings, but you you don't overstate them, which is very tricky to do as a writer. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And um, it is a somewhat ambiguous ending, which I also personally really like. So, so yeah, there was a lot of reasons why I published this one. It's a very well-written story, I think. So for you, what, what inspired this story? Um, well, uh, the pandemic, of, of, of course. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I wrote this during the first COVID. First COVID. Uh, this wasn't uh, written with Delta and yeah. all the others that came along. Uh, I was I was thinking backwards in time to the you know the bird flu and the swine flu and Ebola mm -hmm. and and how pandemics had been coming uh, every two or three years um, mm -hmm. for you know a couple of decades now and I just felt like this would go on forever at the time I was thinking that the COVID would, would come and go like the others. I didn't realize it was going to be quite this permanent. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was thinking about these, these past pandemics, how they had been coming and, uh, and now we were in one that was worse, but there would probably be after this one goes, there'll be another and another and another. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the way, um, Sometimes I wonder if it's just nature's way of uh, thinning the herd sometimes. Uh, uh, I hope not, but well, it's a good question. <laughs> um, well, it, if a population gets too big, then, you know, food gets scarce. You know, that's nature's way of yeah. uh, dealing with it. But um, So I was thinking about previous pandemics and, and then the COVID really brought it home. Uh, and it, and I just thought it's likely to keep coming. So that's that was the um, uh, impetus. Um, and as in most of my stories, the, the first thing that popped into mind was this was the first scene. That's almost mm -hmm. always how they come to me. Uh, in fact, the first line, of, first couple of lines of the story were in my mind before anything else, before any sort of plot uh, to follow that with and that first scene actually did feel quite cinematic i reread the story recently um mm -hmm. and it did feel like this sort of dystopian <laughs> bleak scene to open with yeah so so yeah so this is here a, a combination a near future dystopian and and then the uh lonely uh 
isolated characters from my realistic yeah. uh, stories. Uh, it's all come together in this one. Yeah, it's a really strong story. I really like it, obviously, because I published it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'll let you take it away. So this is an excerpt from Sui Generous. The experts said life would return to normal. They were wrong, simply because, for most, a weary stasis had set in. Like pretty much everyone, my job had come to occupy nearly all my waking hours. But on that day, an inexplicable impulse propelled me to take a radical action. I went for a walk. In the warmth of a summer afternoon, light sweat broke across my forehead and collected in my armpits, despite the shady tree-lined street. Large, well-kept houses held silent vigil, shielding their unseen occupants from the outside world. After a couple of blocks, a woman walking her dog appeared on the opposite sidewalk. She kept her head down, though her little dog yapped at me. A bit further along, a landscaper snipped diligently at a hedge. He never looked up. Twenty minutes later, I reached the edge of the neighborhood at a corner where a boarded-up hamburger joint stood. A wide thoroughfare ran past its front door. Not much traffic now. I pushed on past the next intersection where a familiar strip of commercial enterprises lay dormant. The Bangkok had been my favorite restaurant. Great Thai food and so close. It held on longer than most, finally succumbing nearly two years ago. I paused and looked through the glass panels. Tables and chairs sat in perfect alignment as if waiting for diners to arrive. I caught the reflection of a lone car crawling along the street. I sensed the driver watching. The vehicle pulled into the lot and parked. I felt the panic of a face-to-face -face interaction. The car door swung open. A woman got out and approached. She stood near and peered through the glass panels, just as I had done. It's sad, she said, without looking at me. Yes. I worked here. She faced me, an attractive woman, quite young, with Asian features. I judged her to be in her mid-twenties. Made uneasy by her closeness, I took a step back. She moved with me. Hello, she said. Oh, I think I remember you. I felt both attracted and wary. Mm, I'm not anyone. I waited tables here. You were a regular and a big tipper. I always hoped you'd be seated at one of my tables. A memory of her surfaced. Oh, yes, I recall. Whenever the hostess tried to hide me along the wall, solo diners don't project a good look. What's your name? May Lynn, what's yours? Oh, why had I asked? Now I had to give mine. John? Oh, yes, that's right, John Walker. I remember from your credit card. You dined here a lot. You were the favorite of all the waitstaff. Uh, damn it, I thought. Uh, I've got to go. Wait, she said. Take me home with you. Brilliant. Such a good story. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. So um, we'll finish off with every writer's nightmare, a little bit of promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to promote? Um. Yes, uh, my website is uh, 
kenweatherington.com. Uh, I'm going to spell that because everybody misspells it. Uh, K-E-N-W-E-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. kenweatherington.com. Something uh, else I would like to promote. Well, I have a couple of stories coming out in uh, various magazines. Uh, one in the Lowstuffed Chronicle that will be out 1st of December and another in Black, uh, Back Channel's journal, uh, which will be out probably in December. It's a little vague. But, but my biggest news is I am working on the short story collection to be out in the fall. And uh, like my previous collection, it will probably contain a, uh, well, it will contain a mix of uh, uh, new stories and previously uh, published stories. Uh, so the uh, manuscript is with my editor. And when that comes back, we'll have to get into the book design and, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. Lots of interesting stuff in the pipeline then. So, uh Interested readers can keep track of me on my website. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Ken Weatherington. Um, so, yeah, keep track of me on Twitter. You can uh, send me a, a note on Twitter or do my website. And I have a mailing list. I can uh, notify folks when uh, something gets published or, or there's some news to report. Wonderful. Um, well, thank you again for being on the podcast. It's been such an interesting conversation. I'm glad that we got to speak finally. <laughs> oh yes, it's been it's been very nice. It's really good to talk to you in person. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, that is it for another episode of the Idle Link podcast. I'll be back in another week with another Idle Inker. Um, but for then, it's goodbye from both of us. Bye. Bye.